You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms, specifically the new shotgun from Savage called the Renegade. Now, the Renegade is a badass shotgun, and it has a dual-regulating inline valve gas system. The patented self-regulating gas system allows high-power and low-power loads to cycle with the same consistency. This means 3-inch magnums down to lower recoil 2 and 3-quarter cartridges. If you want to find out more information about the Savage Renegade, visit savagearms.com. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics, and I am your host, Dan Johnson. Welcome, 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 welcome. Today we have a pretty interesting podcast. It's kind of a a follow-up podcast in a way to the one we did on Wednesday where we talked about a turkey hunt at elevation at about 9,000 feet. This is the guy who helped orchestrate the film that was designed around that hunt his name is jason tarwater and jason works for the national wild turkey federation and he works out in montana and this is a really cool episode because like i've mentioned earlier it's unique to talk about turkeys in a place where turkeys are not probably even the top five animals that are hunted right out out east here we have whitetails and we have turkeys we have some other things that we can do but from a popularity standpoint it probably goes whitetails and then it goes turkeys but out west right especially where he lives in montana you got elk you got mule deer you have whitetails you have antelope then you might have turkeys or pheasant or one of the other predator calling or whatever but it's not even in the top four or five i i, I feel like out west and uh, as you'll as you'll hear in this episode in Montana, I think a general tag costs seven dollars and fifty cents. That's ridiculous. That's a fast food meat combo meal. Or you could go turkey hunting. That that blows my mind, man. I wish turkey tags were that cheap here in Iowa, but they are not. I mean, they're they're I think three times that, but it's all good. Uh, so today we have a really good conversation with Jason. He talks about what his role is within the. Uh, NWTF. We talk about how he helps recruit people to join chapters, how he helps fundraising events. And then he also talks about this whole COVID-19 issue. Uh, They're having to postpone a lot of their, uh, you know, a lot of their banquets and NWTF is losing lots and lots of money 
throughout the organization because they can't have any of these fundraising fundraising events right now. So really interesting podcast. And then he's actually a Kansas transplant. So he went from Kansas to Montana to work for the NWTF. And uh, it's a really interesting story how he went from a whitetail turkey guy to now he, I think he might be hooked into the elk hunting. So uh, that's what this podcast is about. Hopefully you guys enjoy 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 it and the commercial today we're going to talk again about the average conservationist and uh dude i love this brand right and the more i talk to the owner of the company i love it more and more because uh hint hint he might be starting a podcast that is conservation focused we're we're still in the uh we're still kind of debating and talking about it right now, which direction we're going to go, but I don't know if I'm even supposed to say this yet or not, but I think it's going to it's gonna be a really tight connection with the Sportsman's Nation, a tight connection with his brand, The Average Conservationist, and a tight connection with 2% for Conservation. Uh, this podcast is going to be badass, straight up, uh, when, it, when it all comes to fruition, but you didn't hear that from me. <laughs> you didn't hear that from me. Uh, so more about... The brand, the average conservationist, right? Marcus Ewing, he's the owner, and uh, he's a really good guy. And this company that he's created right now is hats, hoodies, T-shirts, sweatshirts, and it's this kick-ass logo. It's actually really high-quality uh, material, really cool logo. If, if you're buying a product just for the way it looks and feels, it's a win right there. But here's the kicker. He gives 10% of his earnings to conservation efforts not two but 10 so no matter what he is giving 10 percent of his earnings to a conservation effort and uh, i tell you what that is very impressive if you ask me so when you're buying these products you're also you know that your money in some way shape or form is going back to a conservation effort so uh, go check out the average conservationist.com they have some really kick-ass hats. I'm looking at two of them right now. Then, and one, one's my day-to-day hat, and one is gonna be my. I think I'm gonna save it for, uh, for bow hunting season, so I look fly going into the. So I look fly. I don't know why I'm laughing when I say that, but uh, so I look good when I go into the timber and take my tree stand selfies, baby. So check out theaverageconservationist.com. Flip through their. Uh, Flip through their their lineup, their apparel, their hats, and uh, go check them out. So there's that. Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, let's cut the BS and get into more BS. And uh, we're talking with Jason Tarwater of the NWTF. In three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, Mr. Jason Tarwater. Jason, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? You know, I can't complain. Um, of all the of all the places that a guy could be in uh, right now in life, the lowest populations in the entire country are probably the best. And I know that you just mentioned you live in Montana, and I live yeah. in Iowa. So I feel like those are two good places to be right now. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh... It's always a good place to live when you're in Montana, but especially you know under the circumstances that we're in right now, um, I can't complain one bit either. 
right? So uh, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of different things today, but it's kind of it's kind of funny this spider web that is happening uh, through a couple con uh, contacts. I just got done doing a a podcast with uh, a guy named Dylan. He is he works with Onyx, and he uh, went on a turkey hunt that was filmed by the National uh, Wild Turkey Federation. And you work, f- and then I got connected through you, and now we're going to do a podcast today about random things and uh, expect and talk a little bit about the NWTF. But uh, have you always been a Montana resident, or have you are you a transplant? Uh, I'm a transplant. Um, I'm from Northeast Kansas originally, and um, I actually worked for Kansas Wildlife and Parks for four years as a public lands manager. Okay. Um, got, I got really familiar with the NWTF because I was using funding um, from them on my wildlife area to do habitat work and just got connected with them. And then um, just through the grapevine, this job came available, and um, my girlfriend at the time now my wife had always you know dreamed of moving to the mountains and after a lot of discussion we pretty much packed up and drove a thousand miles and this is where we've been for (laughs) five years now so did did you go there with a job in mind already or did you just kind of up and leave uh so it was this this job in particular um we kind of, I waited. I didn't just up and move. I waited till I at least had a had a job um, up here, and then she's in the medical field, so it, she can pretty much go wherever. So it worked out worked out well. Gotcha. So let's let's see here. Um, how long have you been in Montana? Um, just a little over five years now. Five years. Okay. And you've been working yeah. for the NWTF the entire time. Yep. Okay. Yep. I'm the. Uh, the regional director uh, originally started um, I cover fundraising so our, our volunteers um, building chapters uh, and like all the fundraising stuff that we do um, I started covering Montana and Wyoming and we've transitioned over the last year I now cover Montana Idaho and Alaska Alaska are, yeah. there, are there wild turkeys in Alaska there are not there's some rumors of release birds that have actually been successfully reproducing probably not very successfully i'd imagine but they're not a game bird in alaska um so there's not a hunting season on them and i don't i don't think there's probably that many of them yeah that are actually rising yeah it's it's kind of uh listening listening to people talk about turkey hunting out west is is unique i feel because here on the eastern side of the states you know iowa typically has two species of game you know other than maybe some upland bird like pheasant but it's when you when you talk about your hunting year you're talking about whitetails and then you're talking about turkey and i feel like that is the case for a majority of the states the southern states and east of the mississippi so where in your opinion where does turkey hunting rank out west because you know like everybody's hopped up on elk and mule deer and antelope and all the other even whitetails oh yeah yeah um it's interesting because you know like i said i grew up with doing the the whitetail and the turkey thing that was my life and um 
still absolutely love it. Still go back to Kansas when we can, especially in November. But out here, it's definitely lower. Tur- turkeys are definitely lower on the totem pole. Um, it's it's interesting. It is growing. Um, I, even in the five years that I've been out here, I feel like there's uh, a lot more popularity with the turkey hunting. And I, I think it's, you know, it's a spring thing. If you don't spring bear hunt religiously, it's just something to do to get out. Um, usually our tags are fairly cheap here in Montana. I think our resident tags, I think it's seven fifty. dollars That's all it is for turkey. $7.50. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, you might as well buy one, right? That's, that's, right. That's what people think of. And then a lot of states um, in the fall, you can still shoot turkeys with rifles. And so I think a lot of people get tags just in case they happen to come across them when, when they're deer hunting. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, like I said, I do know it. It's taken off in popularity um, through license sales. I can tell that just from stuff that I get from the state um, and social media and all and the connections and, and things that I have. I think people are finally catching on. And, and bird populations, actually, turkey populations, I fear, are still expanding into areas where they haven't um, historically been. So it's it's a it's a growing opportunity it's pretty pretty neat to see yeah and that's what i was just going to ask you what are the numbers like i mean you can talk about montana and then you can expand into maybe some of the other regions that you cover with your job yeah um turkey numbers are pretty pretty strong i mean even in montana they're they're obviously isolated right because we've got forested areas within mountains and um, foothills and stuff and then you transition into you know sagebrush country where there's not going to be turkeys so it's not it's not widespread turkey habitat but where the habitat's good elevations aren't so high that the winters are real bad um the numbers are really strong you know the the western third of of montana a lot of people wouldn't think about it but um they're they're so productive that there's um, depredation issues Uh, they're causing you know issues in towns and communities and um, they get on ranchers' haystacks and, and they'll destroy them. So, I mean, I think they're doing a lot better than they thought they would when they started, you know, releasing them in the 50s across Montana. So, um, it's, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're doing really well. Um, and, and honestly, most of the Western states is like that, it seems like. Um, you know, when we did that filming project, you know, I was able to, to go along and we, we hunted in California. And then, like I said, New Mexico, and then even Arizona. Then every everywhere we were going, um, it looked really good, and there was a lot of birds. And just talking to our biologists and, and all the states, um, we don't see that. We haven't seen that drastic decline like maybe in the Midwest and in the Southeast has been seen recently. So um, there's abundant opportunity, that's for sure. Let me ask you this. What was it like to – hunt in california because i don't whenever whenever anybody says hey i'm gonna go hunting if i had to rank states number one to number 50 i i think i think california would probably be the last state that i would ever assume would have any good hunting yeah um it's interesting because i probably would have been right there with you and agreeing on that um the northern half of california is really neat it's it's pretty rolling um you know that tahoe area to sacramento you drop down big mountains um there's obviously a lot of 
um, infrastructure and, and housing and you know we were hunting we were using our onyx map app and um uh, trying to avoid houses and stuff like that little chunks of public ground here and there around the back sides of private land and um it, it was different it was unique but there's still i mean there's a lot of birds there we saw a lot of mule deer i'll never really get a mule deer herd there um and then you know i think a lot of northern california is probably known for their waterfowl migration um with their, their ice fields and stuff like that but uh, there's a there's a lot of northern california that's um pretty rugged and um pretty wild still so yeah a little yeah. different than what you what most people i think imagine Right. I think when the consensus is California, you know, you think of like the Southern California, right. And, yeah. but it's a, hu- yeah. it's a huge, yeah. huge state that runs North South. Right. So there's probably tons of variable in terrain, the length of the, you know, you obviously have the ocean, but then you get inland more, you got, uh, the Western, I guess you'd call the Western slope. If I think that's a thing. And, uh, I had, a me and my me and my wife went to napa a handful of years ago and you know we did the wine tours and stuff like that and um i saw a couple turkeys out there and i'm like i did some research and they actually have in the spring vineyard turkey hunts that are are available and i thought that would be kind of cool like to (laughs) to do wine tastings and then go shoot a turkey but no, yeah, actually not yeah. in that order. Probably shoot a turkey first, then do wine tasting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, there, there's a lot of birds around. Um, and, and even in the Southern parts where you get into maybe some, some riparian areas or just where there's some more wooded, wooded areas. Cause I know, um, guy that we hunted with, he's from, um, Los Angeles and he turkey hunts, you know, down there every, every spring. So, um, there, there definitely is, you know, scattered opportunity across the, across the whole state. But yeah, yeah, it's, it it was a little different. So I want to talk to you a little bit about, about your role as a fundraiser. And, um, and and I feel like it's out East, it would be easier to fundraise for Turkey than it would be out West. Um, Was this something that was uh, like, a big plan for the NWTF to say, you know what? Hey, we want a foothold in the Western States, just like we do in the, on the East coast. Yeah. You know, obviously way before my time, um, we've had, we've got chapters in the West that are, you know, 20, 25 years old. Um, that was about when they, we started as an organization growing West. Um, and we're still growing. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're a national organization and, um, I think the consensus back then was if we're going to be a national organization, we need to be represented nationally and not just in the Southeast or in the Midwest. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it is a little bit more difficult. You know, people see, see our logo and they see the three walking turkeys on it. And like you said, most people, um, they're more into your iconic Rocky mountain species, your elk and your mule deer and things like that. Um, but I think really what has helped us is um, several years ago, well, I say several, seven or eight years ago, we came up with the Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative. And recently it's it's helped us gain a ton of support and, and grow in the West because we, we don't focus just on the wild turkey. We're focusing on public access. We're focusing on forested habitat as a whole ecosystem and not just for wild turkeys. 
um, and we've got goals of, you know, recruiting new hunters to the ranks. And so all that, what we call big picture stuff is now into um, an, an initiative that we can focus on. And that's really helped us um, not only across the country, but specifically in the West. Gotcha. Know, we've, got a, we've got a lot of volunteers that don't turkey hunt. I've never turkey hunted. Um, but they volunteer their time for us because of that save the habitat save the hunt initiative that we have that's pretty cool uh, and i think uh, i'll be honest with you I, th- I think that's what conservation is all about is giving your time to something that you may not benefit from yeah yeah no absolutely um and yeah i mean it's, it's like i said it's helped helped a ton and we for a long time there's been uh, you know these critter groups is what people you know call them and we get so focused on a single species and it's good work that's being done, but we're in a, a world where we can't, we can't operate like that. We have to focus on, on everything. Right. right. So, uh, I mean, we even get concerned about, you know, gun right bills that, that go through um, things like that because, you know, guns and ammunition fund conservation more than hunting does. So um, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot more that we do than just, you know, focus on the, the bird. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's talk a little bit about your role. Uh, I feel like someone who is asking people for money is a hard job. <laughs> is that, I mean, because honestly, I mean, you're fundraising, right? So you're trying to get money out of people to help su- support conservation. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about your role at, in a, in the fundraising space and uh, maybe talk about the, the challenges, uh, the benefits, all, all the good and bad things. Yeah. So my role um, is more of recruiting volunteers you know to put chat local chapters together and then in turn they're kind of the ones that go out to get donations whether it's cash donations or you know somebody donates a set of set of tires or um a, a service of some kind for That's for a thing. raffle so, yeah for a raffle um you know our, our bread and butter for fundraising is um is our dinner banquet yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people are familiar with those and those are all ran by our local chapters. And so my main role as a regional director is to recruit volunteers to build those chapters and then in turn, um, help them put on a successful event. Um, so I'm not specifically going out and just asking people for money, right? It's more of, selling our mission to folks and trying to get them to, you know, want to get engaged and involved. Um, and then we all kind of work as a team on these, you know, these banquets or, you know, sporting play shoots, golf tournaments, other fundraising events that we do. Um, but even on for the volunteers, yes, it is still challenging for them for reasons that we've already talked about, you know, it's, it's, it's everything else that we do that, that, they have to focus on and not just the wild turkey stuff that we do that that is really what it's going to get people coming to the banquets or donating to the banquets yeah so what does that uh how how challenging is it then i guess not necessarily to get money out of people but convince people to become volunteers 
Um, it it's a challenge. You know, I've been doing this for five years now, and um, I don't know what the percentage of or the ratio of no's to yeses is, but um, I probably don't want to. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 just a matter of like everything. You got to find the right person, right? And um, we've got a lot of people that volunteer for us that do great things, and um, it's just yeah. I mean. It's getting in front of people. It's talking to, you know, talking to business owners, sporting goods stores, taxidermists, all that sort of thing, um, just to try to, you know, beat the streets as much as we can to find those right individuals that will not only want to get involved, but actually, like, take this and run with it and, and make it a great chapter and a successful chapter. Gotcha. So you, you're kind of uh, a recruiter of sorts. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Okay. All right. So then once you get a, you know, once you get a, a chapter or you get more people into a chapter or you get a chapter created, um, what's the next step? I mean, is it up to them to go out and find uh, a conservation project to put their attention towards? Or do you guys give them ideas and say, hey, this area needs this. Go ahead and get started on it. Yeah, so um the the way we operate is we have a we have our local chapters um in different communities and then in that state we have a state chapter which is um volunteers from all the local chapters come together to kind of form the state like state board right um and all the chapters do fundraisers and that gives us x amount of money to work with for the year and the state board, um, which consists of all those volunteers, but also our district biologist that covers that state, um, myself, and then we also have a tech rep that from that state, which can be a, um, like a state agency person or a federal agency person. Um, so we all come together, and we have what we call a super fund process, which is actually instead of you know our volunteers going out and asking for projects and looking for stuff. We have a proposal that goes out to all of our state agency partners, Forest Service, BLM, things like that, and say, hey, we have some money available. Do you guys have projects that you need help fund with? Submit these proposals. And so what the state board of ours does is looks at these proposals that come to us and then prioritizes them depending on if there's public access and how many acres it affects and all their needs. And then that state board kind of divvies out what funds we have available in that state. So it's, it's kind of a neat system because you end up with volunteers that are on the ground doing the fundraising that are part of um, helping determine where those funds are going to go with the guidance, obviously, of our district biologists and myself. Um, so it's just a, it's a kind of a neat little culmination that, of events that happens um so yeah that we don't necessarily have volunteers going out look for projects we have conservation staff that works with all of our partners um they drum up the projects and then we use our state board to kind of figure out you know how that money is going to be dispersed to those projects gotcha so it's more it's almost more of you guys putting uh putting out uh, feelers that says who needs help and then a state agency yeah. or a federal agency says, we do, here's what we need your help with. And then you guys, 
like get together and then make a decision on on who you want to help out of curiosity is it all based off of wild turkey habitat um no it's not we have a we have a ranking system a formal ranking system and um you know we we look at all the projects our whole state board does and ranks them going off of this and you know we kind of have a um, a score that we give them and there's different criteria one of those criteria is you know is is there wild turkeys on the property or is there potential for wild turkeys but that's just one of i think eight or nine um stipulations you know public access is a big thing we've got several chapters or several states that contribute to um it's called different every state but like in kansas it's the walk and hunting area program um in montana it's block management it's basically private lands that the state leases out for public access for public hunting access um and so for instance in montana we contribute to that well there might not be turkeys on somebody's property that this is help opening up but there might be a spring bear um, hunt available on that place right um in wyoming some of these places are, are opening up big ranches that probably antelope and mule deer hunters are gonna gonna use um so no that's not just centered around wild turkeys we we've got some projects that there happens to be some wild turkeys in the area but it's also helping big game or not big game bighorn sheep winter range which is kind of neat to see all that happen so um yeah i mean it's it's we 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 base it off of a total conservation merit really more than just the wild turkey okay how often do you guys work with other organizations like the mule deer foundation like the rocky mountain elk foundation or uh i don't know a qdma or something like that yeah we we partner on um on a lot of projects really i know a lot of the projects that we help fund in montana um rocky mountain elk foundation is also part of mule deer foundation is part of um a lot of our partnering when we get all the groups together revolves around youth and outreach events um several communities you know that out here we have one giant youth day like here in helena where i live there was two or three smaller ones and then everybody got together and said hey instead of everybody doing their own thing why don't we all get together and do one big one um so it, i know it happens you know all across the country depending on you know the project or the like the outreach event um but yeah no it, it does happen quite often actually i gotcha well that that's awesome uh because I, I would assume that conservation, you know, organizations working together make a bigger difference than just everybody out for themselves. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So how many states do you cover right now? Uh, I cover three states, Montana, Idaho, and Alaska. Montana, Idaho, and Alaska. All right. Uh, so are there... Are there chapters in Alaska? Um, currently, there is not. In the past, we have had um, a few here and there. It's it's getting a little tougher. Um, I'm not really sure. I haven't really grasped why yet. But um, in the past, we were supporting a lot of shooting sports programs up there. Yeah. Um, and actually, 
even last year we still did with some funds. Um, but as of right now, there's not. Some of that has to do with with us and staff issues, um, and we've just had a lot of transition, and um, it's been a while since we've had somebody consistently that has covered Alaska. Yeah. Um, I just picked it. I just picked it up about a year and a half ago, so I'm still kind of learning some things and meeting people and making contacts up there. Right. So, um, kind of getting back to the COVID nineteen thing that we got going on here have a lot of your guys's banquets been canceled because of that yeah um i don't want to say canceled they've been postponed um but yeah I, we had a i had a banquet um so we had a banquet march 7th i had three banquets that day and i believe nope march 12th was the last one that i had that still was able to happen um since then everything has been postponed which is um very um it's tough on the organization because march and april is like our main banquet time frame yeah um and i mean talking millions of dollars over the course of you know a couple months and right now none of that's happening so um we're hopeful that, you know, whenever we get the okay to get these banquets back up and running, a lot, all of them have postponement dates. It's just a matter of, you know, when will we actually be able to hold these again? Yeah. Because I, I, there's got to come a time where you can only postpone so far until it's not worth postponing anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, no, I've, I've got, I've got a couple that got pushed to August and it's kind of like if we have to go any later, you know, for one, we're getting into hunting seasons, fall hunting seasons. But at that point, um, we're just going to have to eat it and, you know, wait till next year. Right. I was talking to a couple people and, uh, I'm on the board of directors for 2% for conservation. And we did a whole thing about how this is, hurting conservation organizations in a very big way because of what we just talked about. Right. Um, yeah. On, on a local level on, let's say some of the chapter banquets that you guys have, is there, if these banquets don't happen, I mean, is it dire or is it just something like, damn, we're not going to be able to, to do a project this year because we didn't get the funds that we thought we were going to get. Um, I honestly think more of more of a national level it's more dire than anything. I mean, to a point where, um, you know, our our funds come from our banquets for the most part throughout the year, right? So if you've got seventy five percent of your banquets that aren't happening, um, I think it's more dire for the national organization. Um, on a local level, you know, like chapter standpoint, I, I don't see us losing chapters or losing volunteers or anything over this um and you know we just we really just won't have that much for funding to pass around to our partners for their projects for for, you know for this year um and even even the banquets that are being postponed you know we're looking at june july august banquets that's like the worst time in the world especially when you live in an area that only has you know a couple really good summer months (laughs) <laughs> um, to try to, to try to try to hold banquets everybody's out camping and fishing and enjoying the weather um 
So even the ones that will happen, I think are going to be probably decreased from, you know, their usual attendance and usual fundraising. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think the longer the thing draws out, the more dire it's going to be. Um, you know, we've got, I think every organization's doing it too. We've got several online things that we're doing where we can legally, um, between raffles and auctions and, and things like that. And I, I know there's some chapters that are, that are doing some local raffles and local fundraising. We're just trying to do everything we can right now. Just honestly, mainly to keep the lights on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh very important. That's very important. Uh, so, you know, for those who are listening right now, if you are a member of the national wild Turkey Federation and your banquet has been postponed and or canceled, cause I, I I've heard some of them just have been straight up canceled that, uh, you need to plan on giving the money that you were going to spend to the organization, even though they didn't have the banquet. Uh, I feel like that's a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if it's, you know, if they don't want to just give a, a 100% cash donation, you know, look up your state chapters or your, your local chapter folks, because most of the States where we can, there's some type of raffle going on. Um, and it's been going on. You know, we've been doing raffles out here for the last three or four weeks now. We've got a big auction going on that ends Monday. Um, we've got a 31-gun raffle. We're doing a gun a day for the whole month of May that we're giving away. Um, so that'll be starting here soon. Um, and like I said, all the states have something going on if they can. Yeah. So you, yourself, are you a hardcore turkey hunter? I mean, you work for the organization, but it, is turkey number one on your list, or do you have a, a different number one? Oh, man, that's, that's tough because, like we talked about, I was a turkey and, and deer nut, um, and then I moved out here, and then you have turkey and deer, and then you have elk, and you got antelope, and you got several upland species, and... Um, in the spring, I'm still a turkey nut. There's no doubt about it. Um, I I turkey hunt about every chance that I can. Um, our tags are kind of limited in certain areas, but I, I do travel a lot for it. Um, we My wife had yesterday off of work, and we were actually out all day. So we drove, woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, drove three hours to a spot, hunted it till I think we left at 6 o'clock last night and drove back. So we had a six-hour round trip just to hunt for a day. Um, so I guess maybe you could say that's hardcore. That, I, I would say that's um, hardcore. I would say that's hardcore, <laughs> driving six hours in one day for turkey. That's definitely hardcore. Yeah. Um, I mean, we live in a giant state, though, and, and the way that our tag system is set up, we have a general tag that we can use in, in most of the state. Then all of our different regions of the state have their own regional tag. Yeah, that's what Dylan um, was saying. Yeah, except where we live, you can just fill your general tag. And so that's what she ended up doing that on our opener. Um, so she can't hunt here around where we live. And so that was the reason she had the day off and she wanted the turkey hunt. I was like, well, I guess we're going to have to go, you know, to another region, um, which is what we ended up doing. But, um, yeah, I mean, I still I still live and breathe turkey hunting in the spring. There's no doubt about it. Um but I tell you what, if, if anybody's ever experienced September in the elk woods, um, it's it's basically a turkey hunt on steroids. I know a lot of people call it that. Um, 
communicating with those animals and they live in some country that's a nasty lot to get in and out of. it's nasty <laughs> just say it it's nasty yeah. <laughs> yeah so um but man there's something about it um that yeah i don't know i i would put right now i don't know turkey whitetail in kansas you know and and an elk in september like they're all right there on yeah the top for me did you hunt any other big game species other than whitetail before you moved to montana um i did not well one one fall um kansas has an archery pronghorn season in the western part of the state and me and a buddy went out there um and chased him around with our bows but other than that that is it it's all been you know basically turkey and whitetail and waterfowl in kansas and then when you moved to montana that's when you got opened up into the elk and the other species yeah yeah we we moved up here the first year it was mainly we just stuck with turkeys and and waterfowl because we weren't residents we didn't live very long enough to to get residency for the fall hunting seasons um so that's what we focused on and then the next year uh, we ended up moving we stayed in montana but just moved to here in helena and there's a ton of elk country around here and since then i've pretty much lived and breathed elk hunting as well now yeah um i tell you what elk hunting is one of those things this is the first time i went one year let's see in 2014 i think 2015 and 16 and 17 i didn't go 2018 and 19 i went this year i'm not gonna go um but i'm gonna do it big i'm cashing in like seven wyoming points for uh for 2021 so we'll see where i land on that but uh i am i'm pretty excited about i i I don't want to say I'm like a, a convert because I live in Iowa. It's one of the greatest states to hunt whitetails, but there's something about the West and, and these huge, huge, huge tracks of public land that you can just basically disappear on that I find really intriguing. And yeah. to the point where it's just like, I feel like in the next, as soon as my kids get to the point where they're in school full time, I feel like I'm going to be finding myself always back in Iowa for the rut. But when it comes to hunting other species, I'm going to be spending a lot more time out West. Yeah, man, it's a, it's a gem out here and you don't realize it. Um, I guess until you come out here and experience, like you said, the public lands, um, you know, living in Kansas, I was a public lands manager in Kansas and I, I managed an area that was just over 9,000 acres and you know that's giant in the midwest and, and back east and um you come out here and look at maps and you're like wait a minute i can i can park here and i can walk like 40 miles that direction <laughs> and i'm still on and i'm still on public land yeah um, and it's i mean it's great because out here there's there's a higher population of of hunters um it's it's still I'm not gonna say pastime, but it's just still important to a lot of families out here that I've, you know, that I've noticed, and um, it's just great to have that. And yeah, I mean, it's it's like you said, there's something about it. I feel like everybody, no matter where you live, you need to come enjoy somewhere in the West and big expanses of, you know, Forest Service or BLM ground, and whether you're chasing elk or deer, or 
pronghorn or turkeys you know it's just it's it's a lot different than hunting your your buddy's 40 acres back home you know right so do you still go back to kansas to uh hunt whitetails yeah we do um we, we used to do turkeys in the spring and whitetails in, in november um lately i've just been the last couple of years it's just been deer in november um but yeah we go back every year um we've got my wife's family's got some property and just we've got permission on some places um just around there where she grew up and, and whatnot and um that's we, we kind of look forward to that you know we we wear ourselves down chasing elk in september and then we kind of take a break and that's kind of our next our next big thing is both of us go back and sit in a tree stand with our bows for you know eight or ten days um last year we lucked out big time and i ended up shooting a nice uh a nice straight 10 point um right about 145 and three days later she flew in two days later she flew in hunted one evening and then the next morning she shot a 165 non-typical with the drop time and just absolute stud deer and um so now everybody thinks Every time we go back, we're just expected to kill. <laughs> that's not how it works, right? Oh man, I thought you know that's what I told him. If you understood the amount of hours that we've said in those stands, and nothing has happened, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little different. But yeah, we I mean we we're fortunate. We've got some pretty good property, and um, we know the property's really good now. I usually go back in the summer hang stands trim shooting lanes do all that sort of thing and um just a nice it's a nice relaxing hunt i guess compared to backpacking five miles into the back country and chasing elk all day yeah so have you expanded your whitetail realm into uh, montana i mean did that did that i know there's tons of whitetails out out west as well has uh have you found a spot or good hunt good whitetail hunting out there or are you focused on other things um we've got a couple spots that that we have chased whitetails um there is a lot of whitetail out here and the, the problem is our archery season is i mean that's it's our archery season it's deer and elk <laughs> and so yeah. um and it's it's in september we we don't have the luxury i mean you can bow hunt during the rut out here but it's during our general rifle season so um early season whitetail is is fun and it's nice but it's just not november whitetail right and um we're we we focus so much in the fall on on elk that you know we we do whitetail hunt a little bit here and there um i've shot a few does but you know, our freezer, when we shoot an elk, um, our freezer is sitting pretty good for a while. And so I don't, I don't know. I don't have a reason to really go shoot any whitetail at that point. Gotcha. What about mule deer? Have you done any mule deer hunting? We've done a little bit. Um, and neither one of us have, have connected yet or actually shot at anything yet. We've had a few stocks that were pretty awesome and, you know, my wife got close to a couple, but we just, it's kind of one of those things, like I said, it's, 
the same time frame as elk season so yeah um we we do we did hunt a place last year we we went up there for opening weekend and we're going up there specifically to focus on mule deer and the day before our opener when we were scouting i saw a bachelor group of like eight or nine nice bull elk and all of a sudden it was an elk hunt yeah um so you know i i shot a bull last year and then we shot the two big white tail in Kansas. So our free, we have two big freezers. They're plump full, and they'll get us by. So I think this year we're going to be a little bit more picky. I think we might try to focus more on mule deer, just since neither one of us has shot them. Um, but and like I said, it's our archery season and mule deer. It's early. They're they're just a lot t- different and a lot tougher to hunt than you know when they're chasing does like crazy in november yeah i feel you man well i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and bs with me for a little bit um thanks for sharing information about the nwtf and what it is that you guys do in regards to that before we close her down is there anything else that you'd like to say about the nwtf or maybe do a quick pitch to anybody who's listening on why they should become a member yeah, I mean, um, it's it's probably one of the the most broad conservation organizations that exists. Um, like, I, you know, I went over some of that stuff that that we focus on now: the public lands, um, access, creating new hunters, habitat. You know, at, at a large large scale, um, we man, we do some great things across the country, and you know, at minimum become a member um it's 35 bucks if you get on our website a lot of times we're doing some some cool giveaways for becoming a member whether it's a bass patrol card or a knife set something like that um do some research look at our website we've got a bunch of conservation um things on there um the project that dylan was part of we even have a lot of staff that has watched that and actually has been blown away at some of the, the on the ground work that we're doing in the west um so you can find those videos and stuff on the website that was a cool series called beyond the strut and the whole focus of that was just like the title says you know beyond the strut beyond the wild turkey um so you kind of see some of the stuff that we do there but like i said at minimum become a member get the magazine get some information from us look at us you know um i don't i don't feel like you're gonna be disappointed at all in your 35 bucks yeah and and that's just it 35 bucks right i mean i don't want to i don't want to sit here and and tell people that what is expensive and what's not expensive but 35 dollars. i feel like a majority of people probably waste 35 dollars in a week on stuff you know what i mean as opposed to as opposed to getting a membership to a conservation organization that is an all-year thing and you're actually making a difference. Yeah, and I think the really cool thing that a lot of people don't probably realize or know is, you know, our our conservation department's really good at leveraging money. And there's a lot of grants and other funds available that projects don't happen without us putting some seed money into the pot. And so what that means is we can take that 35 bucks and we can multiply it three four five times depending on the project sometimes 10 times so i mean we're turning that 35 bucks into you know upper 
upwards of 350 bucks, which you start, you know, extrapolating that across the country. It's a lot of money um, just from a small contribution. That's fact, man. Well, hey, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much, and uh, good luck the rest of this spring, and good luck this fall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, uh, for having me on, and good luck to yourself. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast is in the books. If you have yet to subscribe to this podcast, please go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, Make sure you're downloading every single week because I hate to sound arrogant or biased, but I'm putting out some really good content about everything really i mean a lot of it's whitetail focused a lot of it revolves around my hunting styles as far as hunting whitetails and then also making a couple trips out west but man i tell you what i i feel like our guests on the sportsman's nation really stack up against anybody that's putting out content right now and uh, whether you're in in it for just the entertainment or you're in it to learn something man i feel that we are putting out a ton of great content so uh yeah so there's that me being a little cocky there i apologize if i'm coming off arrogant but uh it is what it is other than that hopefully everybody has a good rest of the week huge shout out to all of you for taking time to download and listen to this podcast man i really appreciate it huge shout out to all of the partners of the nine finger chronicles we have the average conservationist vortex optics lone wolf portable tree stands wasp broadheads and ozonic scent elimination please go out and support the companies that support this podcast not only uh, do they need it uh, right now if you're going to buy broadheads man why not don't wait buy them right now uh, because a lot of these companies are struggling uh, in in the hunting industry and uh, let's support or our own community and uh, man don't wait just buy your buy your gear now help get you know help that uh, that purchasing curve a little bit more and uh, you know do your research of course but uh, go out and support the industry and the community that you love uh, including your local bow shops so other than that man hopefully you're all doing well wash your hands make sure you're trying to practice social distancing as much as possible it is starting to get nice so get outside breathe that fresh air and remember 2020 is about giving back we'll be right back.